Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to be with you this evening. I'd like to thank uh, Fiona and the, the music group for leading us uh, this evening. And thank you, Fiona, for your prayers while I was out in Malawi, too. And indeed, thank you to everyone who prays uh, very faithfully for missionaries when they're overseas. And even when you're at home, it's a great encouragement to each of us uh, when we're far from home to know that people here uh, at home are remembering us in prayer. It's a great privilege to be with you and able to share uh, some words with you tonight from God's Word. And we're thinking about the, the topic of courage and standing for Jesus tonight. And just as we collect our thoughts on this, I just want to pose a, pose a question, something for you just to think about as we begin this evening. I wonder what type of mood you're in this evening. Perhaps you're really enjoying life at this time, or perhaps you've got lots on your mind Perhaps you're glad the week gone by has passed and you're moving on to a new week. Or perhaps you're nervous and anxious about the week ahead. Or perhaps you're just wondering who this guy, Alistair McCracken, is standing up at the front of the service tonight. We can talk a little bit more over tea perhaps later. Forrest Gump says in the film, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. But he says it in a much deeper south drawl than me. We go through ups and downs in our life, don't we? We face challenges, we face joys, we face excitements, and we face times when we're a bit down. And as Christians, we're not exempt from this either. In the scriptures, we're told again and again of hardships that befall God's people. And we know personally, from personal experience, that that's true for us also. And so the key question for us to think about tonight is not will we face hardships and difficulties in our lives, but the key question is how do we respond to those challenges, to those hardships? And so tonight we're going to delve into this book of Esther, uh, this Old Testament book of Esther, which is an amazing story, an epic sort of Hollywood epic story that we can gain so much knowledge from. And how she, Esther, responded to a great challenge in her life. And hopefully we can take away lessons that we can put into practice in our own lives. So just as we consider this, let's take a moment of prayer just to focus our minds. Let us pray. Father God, we have gathered here in this place to worship you, to praise you, and to learn from you. Father, you have said through your word, through the prophet Isaiah, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. And so we pray that you would give us ears to hear your word to us tonight. Be with us now, we pray. Amen. Now, I believe over the uh, past few months or two or three months ago, you've been studying the, uh, the book of Esther. So perhaps you're familiar with this book already. And we're just going to look at this, uh, ch this chapter, the, sort of the climax to the whole book of Esther in chapter 4. But I just want to try and give you a little bit of background because it's a little bit difficult looking just at one passage in one evening. And I just want to give you a little bit of background to what's going on here and what we what we read earlier in the service tonight. The Jewish nation at this time, God's people at that period, 
were a people living in exile. They were living far from their home. They had been living happily in the promised land. God had made a covenant with them, but they had broken that covenant with them through disobedience, through not giving God the right place in their lives. And so God punished them by taking them away to exile through King Nebuchadnezzar. And they end up in the Persian Empire a long way from home or from their promised land. Now we meet in this book of Esther the people in the Jewish exile at this time. We meet three main characters. First of all, we meet the character of Mordecai. Now Mordecai is a wise man. He's a God-fearing Jew who places God right at the front of his life. And he's living in this foreign land, but he's still seeking to glorify and honor God. We then also meet Esther, of course, who the name is, the book is named after. And Esther is Mordecai's cousin, but she's also his adopted niece because her parents have died at a younger age. And so Mordecai takes her into his wider family to look after her. Now Esther, of course, comes to a prominent position in the Persian Empire. She becomes the queen of the Persian Empire, chosen by the king, King Xerxes, to be, her, to be his queen. And so it's an influential position, which we're going to come to a little bit later tonight. We also then come across the third character in our story tonight, and his name is Haman. Now, Haman is the second in command in the Persian Empire. He's a powerful character also, and we could say today he's like the prime minister of the country. And this is a vast and huge empire, of course, the Persian Empire. So Haman has a very influential position. But Haman is quite an egotistical man. He's a man with great pride. And he's, we could say today he has great delusions of grandeur. And so he desires everybody in the Persian Empire, this vast empire, to give him honor and adulation and indeed to bow down and worship to Haman and him alone. Now, obviously, the Jewish people have difficulty with this. And Mordecai, in particular, has a problem here. Mordecai is a God-fearing Jew. And Mordecai only bows down to God Almighty. He doesn't bow down to man. And so, there's a conflict. Mordecai will not bow down to Haman. And so this angers Haman intensely. In fact, he's so angered that he desires to kill Mordecai, but not only Mordecai, all of Mordecai's people. That's the Jewish people who are in exile with Mordecai, a large number of people at that time. He wants to take out his wrath, his anger on the people that Mordecai represents. And so because he's close to the king, he gains the king's support. And an order goes out for the annihilation of the Jewish people. And this is where we pick up the story in chapter 4. If you've got your Bible open, you'll see in the, in the verses we're looking at just as we go along. We read at the start of chapter 4 the great and complete distress and desperation of Mordecai. In those opening verses, you can see that he finds out the news about himself and all God's people that they're going to be destroyed. In fact, the Bible uses very, uh, very picturesque language in saying they're going to be annihilated. 
The anguish and pain just ooze through the words here, don't they, as you read them. They're fasting, they're weeping, they're wailing, they're sackcloth and ashes. Now, perhaps you've noticed in the past, looking at the book of Esther, that God's name is not mentioned here in this passage or indeed throughout the book of Esther. But surely it's no mistake to say that these people, God's people, are crying out in anguish for their God to intervene and save them. In his desperation, Mordecai communicates with the queen. That's his cousin, also a Jew, remember. Esther is a Jew. He challenges her to use her position of authority and possible influence with the king. And in verse 8 of chapter 4, he urges her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Mordecai challenges the queen. He challenges his cousin Esther to use her position of influence. Now, Queen Esther knows that this is a highly dangerous course of action as to go to the king without being requested can result in death straight away. It really is a life and death decision that Esther is making. And therefore, it's quite natural, as you can imagine, that she hesitates. She's not sure what to do. I'm sure you can just imagine the response in her mind. She's thinking, are you crazy? Nobody goes to the king like this. And so she responds to Mordecai. But Mordecai returns again to her and says in the real climax in verse 13 of this chapter. He says, don't think that because you are in the king's house, you will escape. You will also die, but perhaps you've come to royal position for such a time as this. It's a well-known passage. Perhaps some of you know it already. Now it's a personal matter. Now the gauntlet has been thrown down. I think if I had been Esther, I might have been thinking something like this. Cheers, Uncle Mordecai. Thanks for dropping me right in it. You know, I didn't even want this job, but you encouraged me to go to be the queen. And now I'm in the firing line. But Esther knows there's no way out. Because deep down, she knows it's the truth. She knows she must act. And let's not, of course, downplay the fact that by speaking out, she's going to save her own life. The truth, of course, hurts, but it's still the truth. Now, let's just pause here for a moment in this story, because I think this facing of the truth and facing challenges rings a few bells, certainly with me, and I hope perhaps also with you. We face challenges every day, don't we? Some of them we can brush off. They're easy to go past. But some of them hit us deep, deep down, deep inside us. They strike us right to the core of who we are and what we believe. And they strike us because ultimately we're Christian people and we want to live faithfully for God. And in our world today, it's not easy to be a Christian, not easy to be a follower of Jesus Christ I remember before I went to Malawi when I was working at Greenmount College in Antrim as a teacher there, the trepidation that I used to face every Monday morning going in to the college. Because whenever we went to coffee morning at about 10.30 in the morning, the first question that was always asked of anybody around the table was, what did you do at the weekend? 
What did you do at the weekend? Did you do anything exciting? Now, many people would answer that they had done many exciting things on Friday and Saturday nights, that they'd done exciting things at the pub or the club or whatever they were doing. And there was me thinking, yes, I did a few exciting things. You know, I did some, some good things. But you know what? I went to church on Sunday morning, and I, you know, quite enjoyed it. It was good, and I went to worship God, and I, I enjoyed doing that. But oftentimes, I didn't want to really say that to people. You see, sometimes it's hard to be a faithful Christian, isn't it? You know the same situation perhaps in your own lives. Sometimes it's difficult to not be ashamed of God when we're talking to people, when we're talking in different company than outside of our church family. Now, of course, this is just a simple example that I've given you, but of course there are much bigger moral and ethical issues we need to, and decisions we need to make, decisions that challenge us to our core beliefs. Now, part of me thinks that this world that we live in today makes it a little bit harder to be a Christian because we live in this pluralistic, postmodern, multicultural, globalized world today. But, you know, as I was thinking about this and as I was preparing this this week, I don't really think it is any easier or harder to be a Christian today. Think of the many Bible characters who faced persecution for their beliefs. Think of Moses. Think of Jeremiah, Stephen, Paul, and, of course, Jesus, to name only a few. Followers of God who faced huge challenges in their lives. And, of course, there have been so many more since those biblical days. I've recently been reading a a book about well-known Christians through the ages, and one of the stories that perhaps you know that particularly caught my imagination and my attention was the story of Polycarp, a second-century bishop. Polycarp lived in Smyrna, modern-day Turkey, which was in the Roman Empire all those years ago. And citizens in the Roman Empire were required to swear their allegiance to Caesar and pronounce that Caesar is Lord. This is what they were asked to say in public. Now, this obviously presented a huge challenge for the early Christian people, the early followers of Christ, because they were proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. And so, because of this, many of them were put to death for their disobedience. And so in the latter years of Polycarp's life, when he was 86 years old, the Romans came knocking his door one day. He was carted off to the amphitheater arena and publicly questioned by the Roman authorities. They told him this, have respect for your old age, swear by the divinity of Caesar, repent, take the oath, and we will let you go. Revile Christ, they said. Now, Polycarp knew the consequences. He only knew too well. The challenge had been given to Polycarp. But this is how he boldly responded. Eighty-six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? And so with these few words, Polycarp was sentenced to immediate death. 
he was burnt alive. But because he wasn't dying fast enough in the fires, a gladiator came and struck him down with a dagger. It's quite a story when you consider this, the faith of this man, of so many people who have stood up for their faith in the face of death. You see, I think it's always been a challenge to be a follower of Jesus. And it's still a challenge for us here today. Now let's go back to the story of Esther. We see what happens next in the latter verses of chapter 4. Following the challenge that Mordecai brings before Esther, we see how she responds. She decides to go and see the king and plead for mercy on behalf of her people, the Jewish people. She steps forward with great courage and speaks the well-known words, If I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. Great words of courage. And she states these words both inspiringly and courageously, but I want you to focus just on the verse before this. Verse 15, don't miss these important words that are here. In verse 15 it says, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa. That's the city they were living in at that time. And fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. Now it's clear here that although once again God's name is not mentioned, Esther is requesting that all the Jewish people bring this matter before God. Such is the closeness between fasting and prayer. As one commentator in this passage says, Esther is wise enough and humble enough to know that this great venture will prosper only if it is indeed the will of God. Esther realizes that she's going into battle and she needs God with her. And here's another immense challenge for us as 21st century Christians today. I wonder how fast do we get involved in things without acknowledging God? How often do we charge headlong into situations and not consult God? We need to remain close to our Heavenly Father. We need to remain close to God in decisions that we make, big and small. And isn't this exactly what Jesus was saying in John chapter 15 when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing, says Jesus. Now this has been a recurring thought to me recently over the past few weeks. Apart from God, I can do nothing. Nothing of significance can be achieved. Yes, I might earn more money. Yes, I might drive a better car. Yes, I might have a nicer holiday. But you know, when it comes down to it with God, that's all window dressing. Without God, nothing of eternal significance can be achieved. And once again, that's a challenge to each one of us here tonight. And it's a challenge which Esther knew so well in her day also. That closeness, that intimacy which Esther knew God, enabled her 
to take the courage to step forward in faith and perhaps face death. That closeness gave the early Christians, like Polycarp, the courage to not deny their Lord. And that's the same courage and closeness that sustains so many Christians around the world today who face persecutions here today. You know, according to Release International, which is an international ministry seeking to bring help to persecuted Christians in the world today, up to 250 million Christians are facing persecution through harassment or repression just for following Jesus Christ in their life. It's a shocking statistic. 250 million Christians. And in countries like North Korea, China, Burma, and Sudan, many Christians worship God with the threat of violence and death every day. Listen to this story of Bishop Ben Kwashi from Nigeria. His picture's on the screen. It's a little bit uh, hard to see. Early on the morning of Tuesday, July 24th at 2.15 a.m., a gang of men, more than five in number, bound the two security guards at the gates of his compound and locked up the four domestic staff. Armed with guns and knives, they then battered through the doors of his house, went upstairs and marched Bishop Ben downstairs and outside. They told Bishop Ben they were going to kill him. Then inexplicably, the men changed their minds. They gave up that plan, took him back inside, ransacked his house and stole all his valuables. They beat up his teenage son, Rinji, and help came about half an hour later. Now, this is what Bishop Ben says. Listen to these words carefully. He says, people will laugh at us. They'll call us names, abuse us, but that is nothing new. The gospel is worth living for. It's also worth dying for. Persecution has never and will never kill the church. Conditions may be difficult or dangerous for a time, but the seed is in the ground, and at the right time, it will burst out. Now, as I read these words, I'm just amazed at this man's faith, and I can't really take in this level of commitment. It's amazing courage, amazing faith, but ultimately it's founded on the same amazing God that we are worshiping and praising in this place tonight. When I read stories like this about Bishop Ben, it just seems so far away from our experiences here today. But perhaps it's not so far away. Okay, maybe we don't face the challenges of a severe repressive regime We can worship God freely here tonight. But what about perhaps smaller, less noticeable forms of denying Christ in our lives? The times when we don't speak God's name because we're seeking to be politically correct. The times we're afraid to speak the name of Jesus because our friends or our colleagues might think we're a bit odd. Or the times when unethical decisions are being made and we don't speak up. John Stott refers to these comments and these moments in our lives as our guilty silence. Yes, I think we do face challenges to our faith here today, whether in government passed laws 
or short conversations while passing in the corridor at work. And oh, how we need courage and strength of conviction to understand the importance of the gospel message and what it means to us and what it means to the whole world today. Let's try and seek to please God rather than seeking to please people. And as we think about our own challenges, let's not forget our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering for following Jesus tonight. Hebrews 13 and verse 3 tells us, Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. And in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes, God has combined the members of the body, that's the church, so that there should be no division in the body. But that's its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. If the global church is suffering, then we as individuals and the local church are also suffering. If our brother Bishop Ben is suffering in Nigeria, then we also as part of that church are suffering and need to stand with him. It's a challenge to each one of us, I believe. Let me just come to a close with one final story, just to encourage you and perhaps challenge you further. Recently, I visited a conference where a pastor from Turkmenistan, I hope I pronounced that right, was speaking. He was, it's a, it's a country in the former Russian republics. Now, he spoke about the persecution in that area, how it's not easy to follow Jesus. He spoke about how the secret police come in the middle of the night and take Christians away, never to be seen again. He spoke of how his family kept their Bible in a tin box and they had to hide it in a different place each night of the week. Stories that just, to me, seemed so far away from our cozy and at times complacent form of Christianity. But when this speaker was asked at the end of his uh, speech, what would he like prayer for? He didn't ask for a lifting of the persecution in his land. Instead, he asked for prayer for Christians to remain strong and faithful to God amidst the persecution. It's similar to that prayer that goes something like this. Let us not pray for lighter burdens, but for stronger backs. Let us remember those generations of followers of God, as well as remember the faith and courage of those in the past like Polycarp, Stephen, Jeremiah, Moses, and indeed Esther that we've been thinking about tonight. Men and women who, like us, were seeking to follow God faithfully through the ups and the downs, through the challenges and the joys of life in such a time as that, in such a time as this. As we've learned from Esther and others tonight, it seems clear that God does not intend to, us to avoid hard times and challenges. But it's how we respond that really matters. Remaining faithful, remaining close to God. So let us remember each other in prayer as a church, 
in discipleship groups in the week ahead, in, as individuals in our own quiet times, that when we face challenges, that when we're tested in our office, wherever we work, in the gym, in our social or family gatherings, that we would stand faithfully for our God. Esther faced the severe challenges we've been reading tonight. She responded in courage based on her intimacy and her closeness to God. Let's all take strength and encouragement that although we may face challenges in the weeks and years ahead, we can come to our God and be revived and strengthened by him to step out in faith like she did. Let's face the challenges ahead with courage, with strength, and based on our closeness and our intimacy to God, our Heavenly Father. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have heard your word to us tonight. May this message, Lord, deeply impact our hearts. May we see the truth of your word, and we thank you, Lord, that indeed your word is rich in depth. Father, we thank you for the story of Esther. We thank you for the courage of her and her Jewish friends at that time who were seeking to uphold your name in that difficult situation. We thank you for the faith that she showed. We thank you, Lord, for the faith and courage of people around the world and in years gone by who are persecuted today for their faith. Father, encourage them, give them strength, give them faith in the midst of deep adversity. And Father, we pray for ourselves. We pray that in everything we would acknowledge you in all our ways and be faithful to you. Give us hearts and give us a desire to live out this, our words to you in this week, in this month, in this year ahead. And may you be praised and receive all the glory. Amen.